Welcome to the Tough Love and Second Chances podcast. My name is Tony Bennett and it's my privilege to write, produce and share the remarkable stories of golfers who refuse to be defined by their disability. Frankly, what started out as a goal to relate the stories of a few golfers has become much more. It is said that everyone has a story and that is true. For several years I told the stories of golf professionals, how they became good players, great coaches and top club professionals. As enjoyable as this was, the words of my guests on Tough Love and Second Chances and found in the Edgar Profiles, supported by Ping, have helped me on a journey of discovery and all the while being a much needed look into the human spirit. The openness of my guests is what makes their stories powerful, frequently revealing examples of how hope, courage and the opportunity to express oneself through the game of golf makes for a combination that can improve and even save lives. My guest this week is former amateur jockey Nikki Weeks from England. I caught up with Nikki a day before she played in an event on the Rose Series during the 2020 COVID period. Nikki was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in her late 30s, with the first symptoms coming immediately after a day of accountancy examinations, which led her on to becoming a qualified accountant. In golf, Nikki found got in golf, Nikki found not only a sport to which she could channel her competitive juices, but also a game that gives her social interaction. I found our conversation fascinating as Nikki explained how she copes with her invisible disability, reveals the importance of keeping fit, and why asking for help is essential in living her life fully. Please enjoy my conversation with Nikki Weeks. So I bet you're quite excited about Thursday, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I can't believe it. When you when you play, what are you expecting? What I'm expecting? Oh, gosh, a, a, an amazing course. Um, I would imagine the course is going to be set up quite tricky yeah. um, for, the, for the competition, um, but in really good condition. Uh, I think we've had, we, we've had a, quite a lot of rain here in the last couple of days or so, um, so I would imagine that's really helped the green keepers. Um, but it, just the buzz, I, I would imagine the buzz of the whole tournament, or of the, of the whole day, and, and the vibe of you know who's going to be taking part and the calibre of the players taking part, uh, I would imagine just the whole atmosphere is going to be quite exciting. Yeah, I'm sure it will be. And tell me about how you got involved with golf in the first place. Yeah, so I've always done some sort of sport. Um, I played hockey after school, and then I've always been doing some uh, some sort of horse riding. I was a, an amateur jockey for a couple of years, um, and then I kind of stopped all that, lost my nerve, got a bit too scared, right. and then I thought, what can I do that's a little bit tamer um that i'm not going to fall off and hurt myself badly so i started playing golf from scratch and i was just hooked from there i i just think it's a it's a leveler with the way the handicap system works and and obviously across all dis all abilities and disabilities and walks of life um you get to meet so very much like horse racing itself you get to meet all walks of life um, who just enjoy the game and play alongside each other. So that, that's, 
it's it's one of the big attractions for me to golf as well. You know, it's it's the meeting people and the 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 variety of people that you get to meet and spend a lot of quality time with. That's the first time I've spoken to a jockey, and I know that jockeys train really hard. It's quite an amazing sport, really. Yeah, it it really is, and and you're quite right. They do. Um, they're physically strong for their size. You know, power to size ratio. It's in, they're incredibly strong, and also the stamina. I mean, you don't realise you're you're on a horse that's moving uh, on average about forty miles an hour that has a brain of its own and moves on its own and, and you're supposedly in control of it. So, you you know, the, the physical strength that's involved is, is enormous compared to their size. But it's, it's again, you're right, it's, it, you get people in horse racing as a vocation. It's not something that you enter for, for money. It, it, whether you own a horse or you ride a horse, you don't go in it for, for the money, you go in it for the love of it, which very much parallels with golf, because however you have this great expectation of, you know, 14, 15-year-old kids that are on the verge of becoming pro or think they can become pro, they're, they're not doing it for the money, they're doing it for the competition and, the and you know, the bettering themselves and competing against themselves and and it's very much like horse racing you know it's it's it's, it really is a vocation in terms of the love and passion involved so who was it that put a club in your hand for the first time or was that kind of uh, an experience that you decided to do or was somebody kind of a bit of a role model for you or a mentor yeah so i i had a friend of mine who whose partner was a professional caddy and she said give golf a go but she said I would recommend you have a lesson before you do anything else so I went for a lesson and and I remember the guy who who was taking me getting quite excited and I was thinking what is he excited about he said oh no he said I, I, I think you, and I thought, oh, crikey, he's trying to sell me something here. I'm being <laughs> taken for a ride. He was trying to say, oh, no, there's some great clubs in the pro shop that I think you should you should buy, and you, you know, you're you doing incredibly well. And I, and I was thinking, you know, he's having a laugh. You know, I, I, this is my first lesson. But actually, you know, I, 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 I think he saw, I'm not saying I'm a great golfer by any stretch, but I think I made a good beginner. <laughs> And, and I think he saw in me the ability to go on to improve, not just stay static where I was. And and actually, he was a really big influence in me starting to play golf because he gave me um, quite... Every time I, I walked away from a lesson, I felt really buoyed and quite happy and and quite chuffed with how I was doing and how I was progressing. And, and again, I'm not saying I was great... I, it was just the progression was there, which was important for me as a, you know, quite a competitive within myself. I, I could see I was progressing. So he was a huge impact on on my golf in the early days. Um, so, yeah, I, I think going for a lesson, that first initial step, going for a lesson and having someone that you get on well with is a really big key thing. 
I think. So how old would you be at the time when you first started? Uh, I was uh, late 20s when I started, so I was about 27, I think. Um, yeah, so I've been playing now for 23, 25 years now. Right, and you didn't play golf for the disabled all that time. You played regular golf, didn't you? Yes, I did, yeah. So, um, so I, I started... Uh, Basically, I, I had I've got MS and I started having symptoms with MS um, about 14 years ago, and um, up until that point, I was playing on and off over the last 14 years because of my MS predominantly. I wasn't able to play golf. I wasn't able to walk pretty much. So um, I joined a few a, a club after I came back to golf seriously, and it was there that I met Amy um, or through playing with the ladies I met Amy and she said well have you played in any of the disabled golf and I was like no I didn't know I, I didn't know that it was available at the time or that I would possibly be eligible so um, so for me it was a it was a big eye-opener and, a, and a, a, it, was, it was a real privilege to be playing in that community for me you mind telling me a little bit about the symptoms that you had? So, you know, let's go back 15 years ago, blissfully unaware. I was um, studying to be an accountant at the time, and I was sitting my finals. Um, so I, I was under quite a lot of stress, which is one of the main triggers for MS. Um, and I, and I'd sat my finals, and I thought, "Crikey, my arm is really aching." Because it, in the day, it was written, handwritten; it wasn't computerised. And then from there, over a weekend, my face went numb, my leg went numb, my whole arm was numb, and they thought I'd had a stroke. So it basically affected the whole of the right side of my body, um, and I, and I was not really with it either. So I wasn't really aware of what was going on. So they were, they took me into hospital, did a brain scan, and said, "Yes, you you've got some scarring in your brain. We need to do an MRI." And then from there, um, they did the MRI and confirmed that it was uh, MS type scarring, but they couldn't diagnose me because MS multiple sclerosis is is literally that you have to have multiple scarring to be diagnosed. Mm -hmm. So it took another three years to get the diagnosis, which is typical for an MS diagnosis. And what's going through your mind in that three-year period? Gosh, it was... Um, I think, initially, I'd never really been properly ill before, like, you know, the vast majority of people. Um, so I, I, I just assumed I'd be better in a couple of weeks. I, I literally phoned my boss and said, look, I'm, I'm in the hospital having a brain scan. I'll, I'll be back to work in a few days, I'm sure. And he was like, "No, you won't." <laughs> mm. So I, I was blissfully, I, I was blissfully unaware. Um, and then seeing the neurologist um, and him saying to my husband and I that that you're going to take a year to get better, and you might not even get back to what you consider to be better. Um, that was the first time that I think it struck both of us how how huge it was and it, and it literally did every week that went by I thought I'm better and then I thought no 
the next week, I thought, no, I'm better now, because each week I was improving and feeling a little bit better than the previous week. And it was literally, I think, it took about six months before I had a day where I was feeling okay, okay to go out and do something rather than just make it to the end of the garden and back and be exhausted. So... On a day-to-day basis now, how does the MS affect you? Does it is it a major part of your considerations at the beginning of the week or even the beginning of the day? Because I understand that you know, this is a kind of a moment-to-moment thing that you know can just flare up. Yeah, so I I have to plan my weeks quite well in terms of not doing too much, uh, you know, on consecutive days. So for me, Thursday will be quite, it will be a big day. And I know Friday I'll be, I will probably be exhausted. So um, so I won't plan anything Friday. And, and I will be quite, I'll have a quite a laid back day on Wednesday in preparation for Thursday. But um, I, I used to work. I, I'm, I'm an accountant by qualification. So... Um, but I had to give up my job because I just couldn't, I wasn't effective anymore. I couldn't concentrate. So for me, the, the physical symptoms aren't huge, although if I do have a relapse, then um, my physical symptoms do come back to a certain degree, not as great as they were in my first relapse. But for me, the biggest thing is fatigue, um, which I have to really consider every day, Um but plan for in advance if I'm doing something big on a particular day. And also uh, cognitive problems. I'm, I'm extremely forgetful. <laughs> so it helps if I watch a film twice, because then I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, cognitive fatigue are, are, are my two biggest factors, and it's different for any, every person that has MS. You would be taking various medications, I guess, to, to make sure that you stay on a, a reasonably good equilibrium? Yeah, so I, uh, when I was first diagnosed, I was put on to um, a, a drug that you have to inject because they didn't have a pill form at that time. So I was injecting daily um, for about six years, I think, four to five, maybe six years, that sort of time. Um, and about three years ago, a new drug came out that was pill form. Um, that, so I switched. I was able to switch to that because my injection sites were becoming um, quite sore. And you're supposed to inject into fat and under the skin. And, and I don't carry an awful lot of fat to inject into. Some people would say that's quite a good thing. But when you're injecting, it's not very handy. Yeah. So um, my injection sites were becoming worse and worse, so they switched me to the pill form, um, which, touch wood, has been quite effective. I I haven't had a a relapse for probably about four years now, which has been really, really good. It's Uh a really good run. Outside of the medication, do you have any other strategies that you use? I don't know, fitness or food or that kind of thing that you use to, to try and keep the symptoms at bay? Yeah, yeah, of course. So I, I because of always being involved in sport, I, I do keep myself fit. So I do run. Um, and, and 
to look at me, you wouldn't think there was anything wrong with me. And that's one of the things, that's one of the big things with MS. You know, everybody looks different. And it's very easy to point at someone with a, um, with, you know, in secondary uh, progressive MS where they're in a wheelchair and, and, and you can see their symptoms. But with me, it's slightly different. I'm able to run, so I do. And that is a huge thing that helps me. I mean, if I, when I had my first relapse, I was, I was really quite fit. I was running and, you know, I was, I was fit. I was playing golf. And because of that, I wouldn't say I recovered quicker, but the recovery was easier because, because I wasn't, um, because I had the muscle tone and I wasn't, I wasn't carrying any extra weight. I, I, I was able to do the physiotherapy that, um, that they were giving me a little bit easier they, you know they weren't having to and also my husband wasn't having to pick me up and literally take me literally carry me anywhere um he i could just kind of hobble leaning on his shoulder kind of thing mm-hmm. so in that respect it, it's good to be fit so i do keep myself fit um i do uh, brain training exercises uh, on a, an app that i've got um i've also seen uh, a speech therapist because if I'm really tired, then my speech just goes to pot and I, I struggle to find words. I even make up words sometimes, which is quite amusing for the rest of my family. You do have to laugh at, at certain things, and, and that's one of the things we do. We, we, you know, the four of us in the family, we, we do laugh about. Um, but, yeah, so I do, I do try, I, you know, eat well. I do keep myself fit, um, and, and I do train, do these, brain training exercises when I can, so or pretty much daily. So So you've now been playing for quite a while. You you've now found golf for the disabled as well. What was your initial thoughts having gone to that first event? Or maybe immediately before you went to the event, what were you expecting and then what was your reaction after you'd got back and you could look back at it? Yeah, I, I when before I went, I was, I was expecting a big event, which it was. I mean, it was, you know, the, 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 from the welcome and you know the whole reception and and right through to being announced on the tee and you know everything felt like a big event and the the buzz was there and people practicing and I was expecting that, but what I wasn't expecting was the warmth from everybody. That that was the one thing that I've come away with. Of feeling part of a community rather than competing against other people with uh, a whole range of um, disabilities, that that really struck me. It was that genuine uh, warmth and oh, you're a new person. Everyone will talk to you. It's not you're a new person, so we'll ignore you because we don't know you. Mm. It was really quite uplifting and and gave me quite a buzz for a while. You mentioned earlier that effectively you have an invisible disability most of the time and that brings its challenges I'm sure. Yeah you know that's really interesting you ask that because I did get assessed in Portugal um, by the assessors and on the day there was absolutely nothing wrong with me that I have no physical problems and they and they had a big dilemma over that, and quite rightly so, in terms of well, what, how I did, I wasn't sure how they were going to treat me. So 
it was it was interesting. I, I kind of felt like I was cheating in some ways or cheating the process. And I've also had this in, um, I've competed in some para, in a para, para triathlon as well uh, about two years ago. And I stood on the start line with other people with a range of disabilities. And they were all visible disabilities apart from mine. And it was interesting because I said to my husband at the time, I said, I feel like a fraud being here. And I, I felt, and I do feel that quite often because I don't have a visible disability. And he said, absolutely not. And, and I'd said the same to the paratriathlete organisers. I'd explained exactly the situation I'm in and the problems that I face. And during the summer, I, I faced more problems because heat is a big impact on a lot of people with MS. Yeah. And it impacts me hugely. If, if on a hot day, I literally almost just stop working in mentally and almost physically, I, I just can't cope. Um, after you know, after a while, and so for me, training specifically for the para triathlon, it was during a really hot summer, and I was unable to train quite a lot of the time. But for no disrespect at all, and I don't mean this in a in a disrespectful way, but for someone with a loss of a limb, the heat isn't going to necessarily impact them the way it impacts someone with a with a uh, you know neurological problem or a problem where you you're impacted with heat. I know they face other challenges, and I'm not belittling that. Mm-hmm. But he said to me, my husband said to me, you, you, you haven't been able to train on days when it's really hot. Don't feel bad. You know, th- this is what this is what these kind of events are set up for. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I kind of struggle with the fact that I don't have a visible disability, and but in other ways, it does hold me back quite a lot. And in in a, you know in, in other ways that people wouldn't necessarily know in in terms of my concentration level and, and the cognitive problems that I, I struggle with. I might struggle with uh, keeping someone else's score sometimes and, and, I'll, and I'll have strategies to deal with that. You know, I might have a bead on, beads on a string or I'll write down when they take a stroke. Or So I, I really struggle with concentration, um, uh, you know, over a length of, a length of time. So it's it's different for me the, the you know I, I, I face a different type of problem it sounds to me that you cope extremely well because many of the questions that I've asked you, you you've, you've definitely got a coping strategy for so somebody's going to be in the same situation as you were and they're going to get this symptom this episode and they're going to go and get some kind of diagnosis and they're going to receive the diagnosis that says you've got MS and at that stage then I guess their life is kind of a bit turned upside down. What advice would you want to give to somebody at that moment because you've obviously faced it and you're dealing with it? Yeah, um, yeah, that's a good question. I've, I've been really fortunate in that my family are extremely supportive um, that that's a huge advantage if you have a support group personally, you know, friends and family who you can talk to and trust and people that you can say, look, I'm going to mess up my words sometimes. 
and then and they laugh with you rather than at you and help you but also if you have a professional network around you that supports you so if you have a nurse or a doctor or a consultant that you can pick up the phone to and call and say I'm in a desperate situation I just don't know what to do um, I don't know how to cope and, and I've again I've been very fortunate that I've been assigned an MS nurse who um, who I see on a regular kind of rolling six month basis and and I've I've talk to her about the cognitive problems and the memory problems and she's directed me to uh, occupational therapists who specialize in that problem or that particular problem and so I would say build a professional network as best you can accept all the help that you can from the NHS because the help is there you only have to ask for it and, and you will get help uh, and also build, you know, talk to your friends, close friends, and your family particularly, and and explain what you're going through because it's it be, because sometimes you can't see the problem. If you talk to them and explain it and say, look, in this situation, I really struggle to keep up with the conversation. How about I just let it all sink in? And then you, and then I can carry on rather than you moving on to the next topic, and I've missed the conversation. So, yeah, I, I think accepting the help that's there is, is a really big, big win if you're in that situation. You've been a golfer pre and post your diagnosis. Any advice you'd give to somebody who perhaps has got MS and would like to consider having a go at golf? Yeah, I, I would say go for it. Um, there's, there's nothing to lose and everything to gain. It's, it's, um, it, if you want to have a challenge or if you want to meet people or if you want to just get some fresh air, you, then you tick all the boxes. It, it, it's just, a, as I say, there's everything to gain and nothing to lose from having a go. It's, um, it, it's a huge experience and, and, and really gives you that self-confidence and achievement that I think makes it makes a positive difference in anybody's life, whatever they're facing. Thank you very much for your time, Nikki. I really appreciate it. I've been really enjoyed chatting to you and uh, have fun on Thursday. Yeah, thank you very much. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Thank okay, you. Yeah, take, take care. care. Thank you. Bye. 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 My sincere thanks to our partners, Ping Golf, who have made this podcast possible. Ping help golfers around the world to play their best. For more information about Edgar, please visit edgargolf.com and stay tuned for the next Tough Love and Second Chances podcast. <laughs>